Well, good morning. It's great to have everybody here live and also with us live streaming. Um, So we welcome you to the chapel. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father, we rejoice over your goodness. Um, And no matter what we experience, no matter how we feel, no matter what concerns us, you are always sovereign. You are always for us. And your, your will will not, be done, will not be stopped. And Father, for that we rejoice. God, help us to be men and women who don't live in fear, but live wisely in this world. Lord, help us to be sensitive to those around us and look for opportunities to share the gospel with them. We would pray for those in our midst that um, are sick and struggling. We, we think especially right now of Doug and Barb, as Doug has had to go to the hospital, that you will um, be with the doctors as they determine what the problem is there and just grant him quick healing and restoration. Encourage Barb at this time as she's concerned about her husband. And so, Father, we want to dedicate this day to you. We want to dedicate this service to you that you will take glory for your name's sake, and that you will transform us, make us more like your Son, and for those that may not know you as Lord and Savior, that this would be the day that they bow their knee to Jesus Christ. In his name I pray. Amen. Let's sing when darkness. When darkness tries to roll over my bones. When sorrow comes to steal the joy I own. When brokenness and pain is all I know. I won't be shaken. I won't be shaken. My fear. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. Shame no longer. Shame no longer has a place to hide And I am not a captive to the light And I'm not afraid to leave my past behind I won't be shaken I won't be shaken My fear doesn't stand a chance when I There's power that can break off every chain. There's power that can empty out a grave. There's resurrection power that can save. There's power in your name. Power 
Silence the 
have put our hope in you. We've taken up our shield of faith. And so we do that right now. We take up our shield of faith. God, we thank you. We thank you that you have not left us alone. You've not left us as orphans. You are king over all the earth. We thank you for the words of these songs that we've sung, God. May they go deep into our hearts, deep, deep, deep into our hearts and our minds. Lord, prepare us for the word that Pastor Tim is going to bring this morning as well. And may we walk out of this place better equipped, God, to love, to show mercy, to show humility and kindness, and to speak a better word. We praise you and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. All right, so uh, just want to welcome each of you that are here with us this morning. I think we've kind of increased in our numbers. I'm just going to admit to you, like, it's really awkward wearing the mask and having to deal with that. So I want to thank you for uh, just for coming and being here this morning. And for those of you, for various circumstances and reasons that are watching online today, we just want to welcome you and just pray that the Word of God uh, today as it is spoken uh, to the best of my ability and thankfully assisted by the work of the Spirit of God will meet a need that is present in our hearts and in our lives during the season of struggle that we find ourselves in. Um, So I want you to turn to Genesis 21. And this is kind of, uh, if you were really the climax of the Abraham story, this is when the you know, the promise that has been delayed comes to fulfillment, and it, it's, it's, it's kind of like one of those movies where it goes from black and white, and they start to add a little more color, a little more color, and things become vivid in color and radiant. And that's really the essence of what happens in this text. But it's a text that highlights a theme, uh, the theme of delay. Now, I don't know about you, but I despise delay. Uh, in our modern era, I have gotten so used to effortless, convenient, fast. Uh, I like same-day shipping. Uh, I'm waiting for like one-hour shipping, okay? Because I, I don't know, I just, when, when I'm ready, I'm ready. And when someone says to me, wait, I don't feel all kinds of feelings of love coming over me when I'm told that I have to wait. I just I struggle with it. I'm offended and I probably become a little unstable. If you want verification of that, she's right there, okay? She will validate what I just said. On Thursday morning, I was driving through the uh, Dunkin' Donuts drive-thru. I was in a hurry, which I think is normal. And the person in front, you know how you can hear, if you put your window down, you can hear the person in front of you ordering. They're like, oh, I want... Three lattes with X, Y, and Z. I want a macchiato with this and this. And I, I, I kid you not, I have a visceral reaction. Then they start ordering sandwiches with and without. Okay, I'm t- I kid you not. I probably had to sit there three minutes. Okay? <laughs> My sinful nature is fully in view. I get to the window, the drive through window. I had ordered my, my coffee with two creams. That's it. And I always say, 
uh, medium coffee, two creams, nothing else. Okay, or, or do you just want coffee? Which is, I don't find it comforting. Well, I get to the window on Thursday after being like, Ugh! without justifiable reason. And the lady says to me, oh, yours was paid for. And I'm like, really, why? She goes, I don't know, I think it's just kind of a thing today that people are doing, right? So how much is the next order? I said, 14 hours. I said, the thing is over. <laughs> I had to wait in frustration. My spirit of generosity has been stifled. Okay, I don't want to help. I was at, I was at Home Depot the same day. Now, I grew up in a hardware store, and our, our, our goal was to give the customer an effortless experience, right? No delays, take care of them quickly, make it a really positive experience. So I go into Home Depot, I'm picking up four sheets of a certain type of plywood. It's $13 a sheet. I get to the register, and I pulled it off the rack where it says $13 a sheet, okay? I go to the register, she rings me up, it's $50 more than it should be. I'm like, that's fine. I'll, I'll enlighten her. I said, ma'am, I said, it, on the shelf, it's $13. I know what it is. I, I, and she says, oh, sorry about that. And I'm like, are you going to get someone to take this back and get me the right stuff? No, no, you, you can go back and do it. Well, I, I muttered under my breath. I, I said, you know, the word effortless is not coming to mind right now. And I think what someone once said, if you're in Home Depot and you see someone in an orange smock, they're not a customer. Okay, you got to think about that for a second. Okay? I, being in a situation of delay, of pause, where perceptions of how things are going to be isn't how they are, it, it just puts me in a frame of mind that is ungodly. It excites and reveals emotions in Tim Hoff that are not good. Broken promises and delays do the same thing to everybody. Okay, very few of us handle those circumstances well because we tend to be selfish in our orientation. The text that we're going to look at today comes at the end of a long season of delay, a God-ordained season of delay. And Abraham have not always dealt well with the circumstances, okay? So when you come to chapter 21, it is kind of on the heels of some pretty, honestly, as we looked at last week, pathetic behavior on the part of the people of God, behavior that is unjustifiable and inappropriate for people that claim to be followers of God, just as my behavior that I just described to you is the same. Genesis 21 deals with the fulfillment of delay, and it encourages us to do this. It encourages us to trust a faithful God in seasons of delay. We all have them. We live in a world of broken promises. The thing that we need to realize is that it is right, it is good, it is appropriate for us to place our trust in a faithful God. So I'm going to read through the first portion of this text, and then we'll get into the long-awaited fulfillment of a 25-year-old promise. Let's begin reading in verse 1. It says, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah 
what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age the ver- at the very time that God had promised him. And Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore with him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham, who would have said, to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And you can, you can pick up on, as you read through that text, just various themes that help us to understand that there was a delay, but in seasons of delay, trust in a faithful God is the only response that should come from the people of God. I'm titling this first section, God Can Be Trusted. God can be trusted not to do what you want him to do on your terms based on what you said or thought or believed. But God can be trusted because he is faithful to his promises. So I want you to look at this. God can be trusted in spite of, in this context, the poor behavior of his children. Verse 2 tells us, that the Lord was gracious to Sarah. And as I read that, I thought of this simple fact. God can be trusted and God is gracious, meaning his blessings do not come in response to the good behavior of his people. Okay? God does not pour his blessings into my life because I am deserving of them. He pours them into my li- in, into my life because he is by By definition, he is by essence a gracious God who responds to sinful people in ways that are utterly undeserved. This is the amazing grace of God. God can also be trusted in this text because he is able. In spite of how impossible the circumstances looked by the time you get to Genesis 21 which is 25 years after the original promise. And if you just think back, you remember Abraham was 75 years old when the promise was given. I understand why Abraham struggled. I understand why Sarah struggled. Because at the beginning of this account, the text tells us in Genesis 11.30, right before the beginning of the story of Abraham, it says, now Sarah was barren. That's not simply saying she didn't have children. That is a diagnosis. That is a condition that Sarah was in. She was unable medically to have children. That problem 25 years later remains unresolved in this account. The other thing the text does in an effort to magnify the capacity, strength, and ability of God, it puts an emphasis on Abraham's age. Look at verse 2, verse 5, and 7, okay? It says, Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. In verse 5, it says, Abraham was a 100 years old when his son Isaac was born. Verse 7, 
yet I have borne him a son in his old age. So what is the text doing? The text is amplifying the obstacles to the fulfillment of the promise of God because that's the world that his people were living in. Abraham and Sarah looked at their age. They looked at their condition. And in Romans chapter 4, verse 19, it's a fascinating verse. I just turned to this very early this morning. It says, Abraham faced the fact that his body was as good as dead and Sarah's womb was as good as dead. He faced that fact, still walked into obedience to God and found that the God who made promises to him was worthy of trust. To me, that's, that's somewhat of a, a beautiful flow in this passage. This fact of the deadness of Sarah and Abraham in relationship to childbirth helps us to understand the struggle with believing the promise that God had given. It helps us to understand without excusing what drove the irresponsible behavior of the people of God in these circumstances. I can look at this story and say, I get it. I know myself well enough to understand at a very substantial level why Abraham and Sarah thought that inappropriate things were appropriate solutions to difficult problems. I get it. But the thrust of this birth account is to say that God is trustworthy. And you're going to see in three occasions in this text, it's going to say that God was gracious to Sarah As he had said, I want you to notice the repetition. Verse 2, it says, at the time that God had promised him. And in the end of verse 4, it says, as God had commanded him. So the text is laying an emphasis on on the incredible limits to which they have been taken in regards to having children. But it also emphasizes that God spoke clearly and indisputably to Abraham and Sarah concerning the promise and intention of his will. So what does the text then do? Here's what it says. It screams this. God is trustworthy. Okay, so in in your temptation to doubt God and come up with alternate plans because you can't see a path to the fulfillment of God's promises, remember the power of God and remember the promises of God. Because fear... As we have just sang, it does not stand a chance when I stand in God's presence. Now, if I drift outside of God's presence and God's plan and God's promises, and I get in my own world and I look at those exact circumstances, they look utterly different because I lack the capacity to come up with the solution to the problem in front of me. And as we said last Sunday, when I'm in that circumstance, I need to remember a truth. In my most difficult circumstance, I got a problem. And God has a plan. And the heart of faith says, God, I don't see a way out of this problem. But you called me here. You guided me here. And I trust you to have a plan that will work for your glory and for my good. Okay? So this first section aims to emphasize the fact that God can be trusted. And what's very beautiful, as you, as you read through this text, you find that Abraham finally, specifically complies with the promises or, and, and, and the directives that God has given him. Here's how he does it. He gives the child the name that God told him to give, and he, and he institutes circumcision on that child in obedience to the directive of God. 
So God said something and Abraham did it. That's the Abraham I was longing to see. Some of the texts that we've had to preach through as part of your pastoral team are difficult. They're complicated. They're stressful. Because we're trying to explain the behavior of a professing child of God who is walking through wrestling. Hopefully when you look at Abraham and hopefully when you hear my own personal scenarios, you don't sit back and say, I am shocked that my pastor, I am shocked that Abraham, the man of God, I hope you're not shocked. I hope you see yourself in the mirror. Now, what is the response of Sarah to the birth of her son? Okay, And this is really one of the highlights of this text, right? Uh, when, when Sarah realizes, wow, Abraham has a son in his old age, and God has used me to be the vessel through which that child came. Here's what the text says. Look at verse 6. Sarah said, this is her testimony. This is the testimony of a woman who developed a really bad plan to get around the difficulty in the path to the promise of God. Here's what she says. She says, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abram that Sarah would nurse children? It was unthinkable to them. Laughter is a, typically, a visceral response. Okay, I don't usually plan to laugh. Okay, laughter is, is it's, it's a spontaneous response to an occurrence, to, to a set of circumstances. It's not thought out. For Sarah, the blessing that God poured into her life caused her to laugh. It produced a spontaneous flood of emotion, probably mixed with tears, almost certainly. But these are joyful, happy responses to the truth that God can be trusted now, I have a pastor friend, Harry Stylker. He's now retired. And Harry used to say this to me all the time. He used to always say, why do we believe the lie and not doubt the doubt? Doubt, when it emerges in my mind, always seems factual, believable, and reasonable. Okay, and the evil one is the master of sending fiery darts. And what does Ephesians 6 say? It says, when the fiery darts of doubt come from the evil one, take up the shield of faith and with it consume, quench the intent of those doubts. You know, the question I would say to Sarah and Abraham is, why didn't you doubt the doubt? And I would ask that in a very knowing way. As a fellow traveler on the road of faith, I would say I understand. And what I find in this text, as, as the birth happens and Abraham and Sarah have yielded to obedience to God in circumstances that seemed utterly ridiculous, God has worked out his plan. And, and here's the thought that comes to my mind. In this text, I see Abraham and Sarah taking a step forward. Okay, in other places, I see them taking steps backward. Here I see them beginning to advance. And I find that for myself, okay, just for me, I find it hopeful. I think it's the reason that this account with this level of detail is recorded so that the people of God in the wilderness as Moses recorded these accounts. 
I think they are recorded so that the people of God would respond in the midst of their quandary, life in the wilderness, unstable, unsettled. They would respond saying, God is worthy of my trust. If he could do that for Abraham and Sarah, then he can do that in my life. And he says it to Israel so that we as the future Israel of God, the church, could look back at those events and say, if God was that faithful in unbelievable circumstances, then he's worthy of my trust. May God help us to honor him in our seasons of struggle and difficulty. You know, I don't know why this happened, because I did not hear the song recently, but the refrain of a song, he's the God of miracles. I, the whole time I've worked on this sermon, for whatever reason, that, that, phrase that interlude has just been scrolling through my mind he's the god of miracles we struggle with that when the situation is difficult hard and long 25 years i get it abraham i get it sarah but i want to say he's the god of miracles he's the god who works in circumstances to do what we could never imagine to get us places that we could never get on our own we need to trust him but I understand that that trust is a struggle. Well, so that's the happy birth of this account. Let's begin reading then in verse 8 as we transition to the next phase of this story. The child Isaac, in context, he, was, he grew and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. He's still buzzing. Okay, I'm going to guess this is probably two years away from the birth, something like that. This is a passage of life event. This is the celebration of the fulfillment of God's promise. So they invite their friends and they hold a great feast. Sounds like a beautiful circumstance, doesn't it? And then you read that three-letter word. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham was mocking. She said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. I will not argue that her response is godly. Okay? I'm telling you that the woman of faith who laughed at seeing the power of God working in her life was also capable of some pretty pitiful emotions the matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned what's it say next his son okay now this is when the past starts to leak back into Abraham and Sarah's story this is consequences that we talked about last week They had made choices in the past. Those choices are affecting current joy. It's the way it always works. So my second point this morning is this. Sin complicates life, but never nullifies the promises of God. Okay, sin complicates life, but it can never nullify the promises and purposes of God. For your life. 
Now, I hope that is a shocking level of sovereignty. I hope you will meditate on the thought that my sinful choices cannot annihilate, cannot change the purpose and plan of God. He continues to pursue in this text. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy or your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Meaning, if a change of relationship happens with Ishmael, it will not affect the plan and purpose of God. I'm going to tell you, this is a difficult text. Listen to whatever Sarah says, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also, because he is your offspring. And that's, in the midst of this darkness, what emerges? There's hope. There's the blessing of God. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water, gave them to Hagar and set them on her shoulders, and then sent her off with the boys. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under, the, under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying. He is the God who hears. He heard the boy crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What's the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. See, when circumstances turn dark, what do we naturally do? We naturally lean towards fear. And what does God do? God moves in her direction. Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift up the boy and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then the Lord opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt, which indicates what? The beginning of this new nation through Ishmael is already beginning to form. So that the less than acceptable plan of Sarah is being confronted and mitigated by the grace of God again. So in the midst of all the brokenness, I want you to remember that the grace of God is storming in those circumstances in powerful ways to bring resolution to difficulties caused by sin. So what's the thrust of this section? Here's, here I think is the thrust. God can be trusted, and when he isn't, my sin complicates life. But even though it complicates life, it never nullifies the plans and purposes of the God that we serve. So what's the thrust? Past moral failures complicate the present. A season of joy may be complicated for Sarah and Abraham by fear, regret, uncertainty. That's what the emotions are that emerge here. The truth is that in Genesis 16, Sarah and Abraham made choices. They made choices that violated biblical understandings of marriage. Those choices led to consequences. And those consequences are still present at some level along with the grace and power of God. I was thinking this morning of scars. I went down to the basement and I banged a nail into a piece of wood and 
pulled the nail and I was going to bring it and say, here's an illustration. And I thought of something that happened to me 45 years ago. I was working at my dad's store and I happened to be at the store yesterday in the morning to visit my brother coming home from my parents. So I said to one of the employees, oh, where's my brother? They said, oh, he's back there cutting glass. And I got this flashback. When I was about 15 years old, I remember being in the back of the store. Things were very tight. It was a very small store at that time. I was cutting glass. After I cut it, I turned and caught the edge of the piece of glass on a piece of metal. It shattered, formed into a V like that. And if I want to make this dramatic, I'll say it plunged into my side. Okay. It's not what happened. It poked me. It went in about three quarters of an inch. Okay. So guess what I did this morning when I thought of that? I ran in the bathroom, lifted up my shirt, pulled some flesh aside, and I found that scar. Okay. What's the principle? The principle is this. You'll have wounds in life. You'll make bad choices. You'll have scars. Here's the truth. Scars don't go away. It's harder to see now. There's no bump there anymore because the skin's probably stretched out a little bit. Okay, thank God for that, right? Well, that's smooth now. Okay. But the truth is, something that happened 45 years ago still has evidence in my life today. And that is only more true in the realm of the spiritual. Okay, God forgives, his grace comes, he continues to fulfill his promises in my life, but there will be times in the season of blessing that I am dealing with the consequences of my choices. But the consequences of my choices can never nullify the plan of an utterly sovereign God. And I hope that, you know, sometimes we've made mistakes and we think because of circumstance X, Y, or Z, or my marital status, or my relationship to one of my children, or a mistake made in my marriage, we think that the consequences of that with God are permanent. You know why? Because it's how most of us think. We forget what verse 2 says, but God was gracious to Sarah. He did not nullify his promise because of her pitiful mistakes. He stayed faithful to his word because that's who God is. And in the midst of your darkest circumstance where sin is complicating, remember, it cannot defeat the purpose and plan of God for your life. So this text is all of a sudden, it moves from all the struggles of the earlier chapters to a very hopeful, still imperfect picture. So that I realize that the people of God are fellow strugglers in this walk and in this journey. Following a gracious and powerful God who can work through and in spite of our moral failures. Folks, we need to remember that the goal of Christian living is never perfection. I don't have to get perfect. I don't have to get it together to be used by God. And I think that's the lie that the evil wants to, one wants to haunt the church with. You're not good enough. You've made mistakes. And he batters you with those fiery darts that cause doubt and fear. And cause you to sit down on the bench rather than stay on the field of life that God has called you to. Well, if you're God's child, here's what I believe with all my heart. 
God will not let you go. In fact, one of the evidences that you are a child of God is that when you go down that kind of a road and when you sit on the bench rather than be on the field, if you're truly a child of God, he will come and find you. And he will confront your doubt. He will confront your fear. He will demonstrate his glory like he does for Abraham and Sarah with the fulfillment of the promise for people that never deserved it. He does it to show that he is mighty. He does it to show that he is gracious. He does it to show that he is sovereign. And that he's willing to use you. But he does not need your perfection. But he is invested deeply in your progress. I think Chuck Swindoll wrote a book called Two Steps Forward and One Step Back. Here's what he's basically saying. If I take two steps... So I start here, okay? If I take two steps forward... I feel good, right? And then I get that back step. Something goes wrong. I make a bad choice. The point of what Chuck is saying is that's progress. You know what Satan wants you to think? That's defeat. Okay? So if I take two steps forward in my walk with God and I experience a setback that takes me back one, I'm now two steps away from where I started. That's Abraham and Sarah's life. And to me, that is, that's the hopeful side of this text. God is gracious, working in spite of the messiness caused by sinful choices. And in this text, what does he do? He allows the separation from Ishmael. Because what happens in the story is Sarah, at the birthday party, sees Ishmael mocking Isaac. And it terrifies her. She sees competition She sees knocking him off, which is what would happen in the ancient world. And she goes to Abraham out of fear and asks for something that isn't truly justifiable, but at one level, it is reasonable. That's how we end up in sin, right? In this text, what happens? God allows the separation and provides for the outcast. That's what a gracious God does. In spite of the brokenness and sinfulness of human decisions, even amongst the people of God, God is still advancing his cause and purpose graciously, even in the life of Hagar's son, Ishmael. He provides for him. The text really ends somewhat beautifully. Ishmael apparently becomes of age. She finds him a a wife, and they begin a family in the start of the fulfillment of the promise that God made to Hagar. Past choices always affect present reality. And I want to challenge you this morning. Maybe you this week, tomorrow, later today, maybe you're facing a circumstance where you need to do what's right. You need to enact hard obedience. And God is calling you and the Spirit is compelling you. And you're wrestling with doing what's right. Here's what I want you to remember. God is gracious, yes. Don't take it for granted. Do the hard thing that you have to do. Do the right thing in the circumstance that is is in front of you. Don't compromise. Don't water it down. Don't try to find another way out. Do the right thing. And leave the results of that choice in the hands of a mighty, capable, sovereign God. You know, this week I faced probably... One of the most shocking circumstances of my life. 
didn't have to do with someone in her church family, but someone that I am very close with. And I was devastated. Called one friend, because I just, I could not bear it alone. I called a friend and I said, I said, I am, I am sick. I was nauseated. And it was all based on a choice made by someone in a moment of indiscretion. And the consequences of that are still to come in that individual's life. Now, my situation is I need to engage in that situation. You know what? I don't want to. But I need to do what's right and leave the results in the hands of the mighty God. Even when I don't know what the fallout of addressing it will be. I was reading this week about a prominent pastor in America. He pastors a church of 5,000 people. There was a struggle in relationship to a relative that was not fully disclosed in the way that it needed to be. And now because that individual was struggling, I get it. I get When I read the story, I get it. But he struggled with doing probably the most transparent thing, held up a little bit, and now has put his church family in an incredible quandary. So I get it. Last Friday, one of my favorite older theologians, J.I. Packer, died. He was 94 years old. And from everything, I, I don't know the man personally, but from everything I ever read, ever heard, ever observed in his life, in very minimal interactions personally, in a class setting, uh, I never heard one thing about that man that would raise a red flag or raise a question. I'm not saying there weren't failures in his life. I'm sure there were. But my guess is he heard, well done, good and faithful servant. My guess is that since Abraham and Sarah are listed in the book of Hebrews as heroes of the faith, think about that. Abraham and Sarah, making in the hall of fame for God. All I can say is God's grace exceeds my understanding and should destroy all doubt and fear that assails my heart when I struggle. And that love and grace and power of God should compel me not to a life of fear, but to a life of obedience, trusting obedience. When the road looks hard, when I can't predict the outcome of what I have to do this week, You know what God says? Do what's right. Tim, do what's right. And leave the results in my capable hands. Folks, that's all I got. Trust the Spirit of God to lead you, to guide you, walk with Him, be sensitive to Him as He prompts and directs, and it will get you to where He wants you to be. Not because you're so good, because He is so mighty and so gracious. You know, one thing I would say to you is you can destroy your reputation with people in a moment of indiscretion. 
Abraham and Sarah did some things that when I read their story, I will never be able to read their story without thinking about, yeah, but. (laughs) But it helps me when I look at my own story, okay? To think, yeah, but God, but God. Verses 22 to the end of the chapter are a really interesting interaction between Abraham and Abimelech. Uh, Abimelech probably being the title of a, of a leader in a, in a region. Abraham's living there. There's a quarrel over a well. And, and it, what's really cool is how graciously Abraham... I don't have time to read through it. You can read through it this afternoon, okay? What I want you to see as you read through it is Abraham is facing a difficult circumstance... But he's responding now as a man who is conscious of the power and grace of God. And it changes how he interacts. It changes how he deals. He's generous. He's he's free and open-handed. As he deals with a, a difficult situation, he deals with integrity. He deals in a right way. In the middle of the text, verse 22, it says this. At that time, Abimelech and Philcol, the commander of his forces, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. And Abraham's probably thinking, you don't know the whole story. I mean, yes, God's been with me in everything. But I want you to know that I have been undeserving of his grace and love. But God has, in my circumstance, been faithful always. So the, the entree into this conflict situation that is resolved graciously because Abraham, I think, he's been affected. His life's starting to change. He's going to become more consistent in his walk with God. He's going to be more selfless and more trusting of the big picture and plan of God that we'll see when we get to chapter 22. It's massive. The level of trust that Abraham will express. And I think it's because he has seen the goodness of God working in his life in spite of his sinfulness. An amazing grace will transform you. Don't ever take it for granted. Don't ever think that you have to earn it. You can't. It's free. It's free. Abraham hits a crisis and acts nobly, selflessly, and honorably. Because he sees the work of God in his life. And you know what he does? He stops scheming. You know what scheming is? Scheming is, I don't like the way things are going, so I'm going to concoct a personal plan to get things to move in the direction that I want them to go. Here's the truth. You can never be scheming and trusting at the same time. You cannot. Scheming is self-trust. I shouldn't say you're not trusting. You're trusting somebody. You're trusting yourself, not God. And Abraham has moved to a different place where he's implicitly and powerfully trusting God to take care of his circumstance, to meet his needs, to fulfill his promises to Abraham. We tend to be so grabbing, so wanting, right? As I was reading through this, I thought of our youngest daughter who shall remain nameless. I thought of her at... You have to think about that for a second. I thought of Christmas and her receiving gifts when she was about five years old. She had two older sisters, and she knew that they had a habit of invading her space. So what Jessie would do when she would open her Christmas presents is, oh, there it goes. 
I'm going to pay for that. Pray for me. <laughs> oh, gosh. So what she would do is she would automatically stuff the gifts under her legs. Okay, so as she would open them, her legs would get higher and higher because she didn't trust that dad would protect her. She just definitely didn't trust her sister. She should have trusted her mother. But instead, what did she do? She acted like Tim Hoffax. I'll take care of my stuff. Touch it at your own risk. Right? That's what Abraham would do early on. He's a changed man. When you begin to trust your father, you know what you do? You, you bring all the stuff out and you say, if you want it, you can have it. Because the God who has met my needs, the God who has promised to provide, took me out and told me to look at the stars, to look at the land, to look at everything. And say that your, your descendants would be like the dust of the earth, like the sand of the sea. Innumerable. That's the idea. Abraham said, I'm learning to reflect on that promise and become gracious. Because God's going to keep his word. God is trustworthy and able in spite of my failures. Folks, I hope you can go home today and say, I serve a faithful God who is worthy of my trust and you need to pray against, by the power of the Spirit of God, pray against fear, pray against doubt, which only serves to assail the promises of God in your life. This text tells me that God is trustworthy, that he is reliable when I am dealing with circumstances of delay. I'll just say this as I close. When you come to the Gospels, you come to another miraculous birth, don't you? You come to a young girl named Mary and a young man named Joseph. God goes to Joseph and he says, Hey, Joseph, I want you to go marry that girl. She's going to have a child. She's with child. A miraculous birth. What's Abraham's first response? Absolutely, I'll do whatever you say. No, no. Joseph's just like us. What does Joseph do? He tries to find a way to put her away quietly. Because he doubts the purpose and plan that God has made clear. He doesn't say, God, could one more time slowly. It's not what happens. He heard exactly what God said. His first response was not obedience. He cycles through a process like all of us do. Of doubt, of fear, of what if. We're thinking about consequences, effect on testimony, influence. I live in a small town. When things go down in a small town, you can't contain it. I'll get a bad reputation. I'll be marked for life. I'll lose business. Everything. Haywire. God comes to him and says, this is me. This is my work, my plan, my power on display. Trust me. You know what Abraham says? Okay. Okay. Folks, trust in God is the end of scheming. It's the end of sowing seeds that bring bad consequences. Fear sin. Trust God. And watch what he will do. That's why this story is here. So that I can see that God is mighty, able, faithful to keep his promises in the life of failing people. And I look at that and I say, God, thank you. Thank you that you didn't write a book of stellar examples. Thank you that you told the truth. And you set up people as models 
that as Paul will later say in 1 Corinthians 11, these are written for your examples upon whom the end of the ages have come. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. I was talking to Pastor James about this two or three weeks ago. He noted the fact that the circumstances that are happening globally point towards another promise, fulfillment. That all of that disturbance makes me uncomfortable here. And that is not a bad thing. Do you see? God has made another promise. He promised His Son, Jesus Christ. Through Him, my sin is forgiven. Mary rejoiced. Joy, front row seat, God's saving historic plan through Christ. But when Jesus left, he made another promise. And let me say this. If you never trusted Christ because you're overwhelmed by your fear and your guilt and you feel like there is not enough grace, read the story of Abraham and Sarah and go to God and say, God, through the blood of Christ, forgive me. I repent of my sin. I turn to you. Change my life. And then as you live, look at the broken world. Don't say, I got to fix it and make this home. No, I can't fix this world. It's full of people like me. It's not fixable. We're not called to fix it. We're called to share the message of redemption and hope. The gospel is the message we share in the face of all of the chaos and brokenness on every side. No one stands innocent. If you're trying to argue for one side because you think they're right and the other side's wrong, you don't understand biblical theology. It's a world full of sinners. Our only hope is a benevolent, loving dictator. His name is Jesus. I don't need a better president. I'm not saying I wouldn't like one. Okay? I'm not, I, I, I'm not saying anything about that. But if your hope is in the next elected person, you're wrong. Your hope should be in the coming king. And he shakes the world so we don't get comfortable here. I'm not saying we shouldn't do justice and do right and try to solve the wrongs that we can do. I'm not saying that. We're called to be light, but we do that not to fix the world. We do that to attract people to the cross of Christ. Where they can find true hope and total transformation. Not of a better world. but of a new heaven and new earth. Ruled by someone who has total authority and loves sacrificially. Folks, that's our hope. Abraham and Sarah's world broken because it's full of broken people just like you and me. But I trust a faithful God who made a promise. I'm going, Jesus said. But one day I'm going to come back. And when I come back on my thigh will be written faithful and true. Haven't met that guy yet. I haven't elected that guy by my vote yet. And I have no hope that anybody alive on this planet today in November will be elected and be faithful and true. But along as the world shakes, look beyond it. Don't look to it. Look beyond it. And while you're here, be salt, be light. Let the Spirit of God direct you to make a difference in your sphere of influence. You can't change the whole picture. Stop arguing about the whole picture. Make a difference where you are. Light a candle where you live 
in your sphere of relationships. And if all of us did that, wow. Wow. God is faithful. God is powerful. He is to be trusted. Let's pray together. Father, as we conclude our service this morning, this text is loaded with hope. It's hopeful in terms of the story of fallen sinners like us. That the God of miracles can transform my life, my heart, can make me kind, can make me tolerant in delay, can make me patient and useful in his work to reach the world that I have been called to live in in spite of its brokenness. So God, help us as we go to think about the circumstance that we need to address in faith, trusting a powerful God whose plans cannot be thwarted and help us to step forward in faith, to walk in obedience to your call to be salt and light. I pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. God bless you as you go. Uh, Go safe and uh, be healthy by God's grace. Amen. Mm-hmm.